Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic, whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Penn Parmenter back to talk about her experience with high-altitude growing and greenhouses. Since 1992, Penn and her husband, Cord, have been growing food just above 8,000 feet in the West Mountains of South Central Colorado. With many years of research and development, they founded Smart Greenhouses, LLC, and Miss Penn's Mountain Seeds in 2013. Together, they build smart greenhouses all over the Rocky Mountain West at even the highest elevations. Their greenhouses are 100% sustainable as they heat, cool, and ventilate themselves without the use of fossil fuel. Penn and Cord are also co-instructors at the Denver Botanical Gardens, teaching a slew of high-altitude growing classes there and around the region. Their very popular day-long sustainable greenhouse design class is held on their 43-acre property and at the Denver Botanical Gardens. Welcome to the show today, Penn. Thanks, Greg. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited to have you. So this is actually your second time on the show. The last time we had you, uh, recently we were talking about seeds and uh, today we're going to be talking about a, a little bit different. We're going to be talking uh, passive design, solar greenhouses, and high altitude growing. Indeed. And I'm very Indeed. excited about that. So <laughs> let's kind of delve into that a little bit. The question I usually ask here, you know, we did that last time. So tell us a little bit about how the whole greenhouse thing came to be. All right. Well, that's uh, a, another really fun homesteading when you're in your 20s story. Yeah, bring it. Um, <laughs> you know, you have no money and no prospects. <laughs> right. And you have raw land. And 
everybody was telling us all the things we couldn't grow here. And, you know, everyone does love the tomato. And my husband was thinking, well, maybe we need a greenhouse to grow those things that everyone was telling us we couldn't grow. And we were very lucky to borrow a book from a friend from Mm -hmm. the 70s where they had done all this research on passive solar uh, greenhouses. And my husband read it from cover to cover. And then we loaned it to someone else and never saw it again. Uh-huh. So meanwhile, we started to salvage for several years. We salvaged some glass. You know, we, we were never afraid. Uh, you know, the neighbor had dumped uh, two by sixes in a gully. Uh, oh, my of gosh. Them. And we got a hundred of them out of the gully. We, went, wow. we swallowed our pride. We went over there and we asked him and he kind of smirked and said, sure. And, and uh, we built so many things with those mm. two by sixes. Mm-hmm. And so we gathered our materials and we had read this book and my husband said, well, I'm just going to go from memory and see what I can do and we'll put this little greenhouse together. And at one point he said, you know, this is never going to work. You understand, right? This thing's going to freeze solid. And it's never going to work. And and he always tells everyone that he's the skeptic, he's the realist, and I'm the optimist. And I said, well, the book <laughs> said it's going to work, so of course it's going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he guessed at the design from what he remembered in the book. And he put to, we put together this greenhouse as a family, you know, on Sundays. Uh, there's even stories of me being pregnant and moving block up the mountain past his mm. blacksmith shop, you know, on the cart without him knowing how many I took because I was only allowed to move two a day and all that sort of stuff. And we built it, put it together, and lo and behold, the thing worked better than we could have ever imagined. And we're I love 8, it when that happens. Yeah, we're at 8,120 feet, and the thing is not only not freezing, but it's cranking out food every day, and it has been for the last 17 years. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) that was where it began, and we built it for 150 bucks and memory, and still managed to pull this off. And, you know, we didn't even finish the door frame. We had a gap under the door, and the snow blew in. I just threw a rug over it, and it still worked. You know, we didn't have uh, the balance correct on the greenhouse, and uh-huh. I'll, I'll go into that more. And it still worked. So, yes, we were growing warm-weather vegetables in the summer and cool-weather vegetables in the winter. In the winter, wow. So that was our first one. So that really showed us a lot of what the thing could do. So over the years, Cord's wheels started turning, and mm-hmm. then he started working to develop the design more. Wow. But that's how it began, 150 bucks in scrap materials and optimism. Uh, yeah, I love scrap materials. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have built so many cool-looking things here on the property at the Urban Farm with scrap materials. So, Well, and scrap materials are becoming finer and finer, you know, because right. we're, we're realizing that this and, re, and reusing them, and, and there's more and more sources to get them now. Yeah, exactly. So you can use beautiful materials uh, to make something. Yeah, exactly. So you use the term passive solar. And for our listeners that don't know what that means, please please enlighten us. Great. Well, you know, technically all greenhouses are solar because the sun is, is a part of it. But mm-hmm. passive solar means we are not using any active solar, no solar panels, no input, and no fossil fuel input of any kind. We don't even plug in a fan. We, we use physics. We use earth. Uh, we emulate Earth uh-huh. to do what Earth does inside of this greenhouse. So we don't even use a fan to move the air. We use natural convection. So um, the wow. passive means nothing is, is – when the power goes out, and it does a lot in the wilderness, uh-huh. uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything because even the vents are automated with automatic vent openers, and mm-hmm. those use paraffin wax. And as the wax heats up, it pushes open the vent, and as the wax cools, it closes the vent. So those are something that we bought that are actually a a thing that uh, is a product out there that we've made work. But most everything else, you know, we build everything. And Mm -hmm. and my husband builds all the way down to the vents, everything. Um, So this passive thing is all about balance and, um, you know, letting the sun do what it does on the earth here. Uh Um, It's a little analogy that I can give you that is really helpful that I teach in class is if you're on Mars, Mars is 300 above and 300 below. 
in that 24-hour cycle right. or somewhere around there, right? Yeah. There's no oceans on Mars. On Earth, the oceans are stabilizing the planet so we can be here. So it, it's taking in that excess heat and cooling us, and then it's releasing it in the dark time, in the cold time, and mm-hmm. heating us. So that's how we're living on the planet. Well, that's what we're doing in our passive solar greenhouses. We use stored water. We use natural convection. The stored uh-huh. water is our thermal mass. Say more, about, store, say, say more about that. Okay. And thermal mass and stored water, and the reason we use water is that it is four times, almost four times more efficient than any other thermal mass on Earth. So rock and earth and soil, those are good masses too, but they have diminishing return. You don't get back as much as it takes in. Got it. And it can only take it in so far, right? So maybe a foot into the earth. Well, water circulates, so it can keep taking in the heat, and it can keep on pulling the heat out of your way. Mm -hmm. So a lot of greenhouses' problems are they overheat. Oh, right. Right? So the water is pulling that heat out of your way and storing it in the water. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to chase the cold across the room at night. So as the temperature shifts, then the heat is going to be released out of those barrels of water or whatever your storage container is. Right. And that exchange happens in that 24-hour period. And then in the winter and the summer, it cools the greenhouse in the summer and it heats the greenhouse in the winter. Yeah. So it, 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 the balance is what's key, and what we've learned maybe more than anything is commercial greenhouses and uh, high tunnels and hoops, they're all glazed. Glazing is any material that lets the light in, so right. whether it be plastic or glass, they're all glazed. Mm-hmm. Well, that means it's really good at bringing a lot of heat in, yes. and it'll spike to 120, 130, and then it can't hold the heat. So it all is released back out of that glazing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I, I tell people, well, you know, put your plants in the woods and point a heater at it. It's kind of the same thing because yeah. <laughs> it's going to go in and it's going to go out. And so when we see these big commercial greenhouses, they're going to have a, a cooling system on one end and a heating system on, on the, the other. other. Yes. And they use both in a 24-hour period. And right. that's just not right. That is a huge problem. It's, it's, a, it's a fuel hogging problem, mm-hmm. um, especially in the West where we yes. live yeah. Uh, because we have so much sun, we have plenty of solar gain. We're trying to tone that down where you live and where I live in Colorado, I'm trying to boost it up because right. I'm up high on the mountain and you're down in the heat of the desert. desert. Yeah, exactly. So we got to balance these greenhouses to be able to handle that. And, and there's all sorts of, of parts of what makes this happen. There's a formula. It takes, I tell you, it takes us a seven hour class to teach you that the sun heats the earth and it's okay. (laughs) You know, it's okay. (laughs) It can heat this little room, I Mm -hmm. promise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And really, one of the big problems in the West for commercial greenhouses is that they are overheating so badly, even in winter, Uh, because the sun shines all the time. Right. So this is a real problem, and, and people suffer with these commercial greenhouses. Their hearts are broken. You know, they saved their money. They bought a kit. It's all glass, and the thing cooked to 120, and then it dropped to 17 below that night. Yeah. And, and they're crying on the phone to us, you know. So that's a, a trick, because those greenhouses aren't meant for the desert southwest or the mountaintop. Mm-hmm. They're meant for London, England, or Seattle, where that cloud cover and that sun isn't going to change so drastically right so how do you combat that so that's so what that's i want to know what, yeah so <laughs> the formula of these things is that one of the first things we do we isolate the foundation so we wrap the foundation in insulation to the frost line if we can on the outside at least two feet on the outside of the foundation and oh. we use a oh, one or two inch foam board And it's straight down in the ground, Uh wrapping around the foundation. Because now if the soil, the earth, cannot freeze under your greenhouse, you're tapping into 55-degree earth for the rest of the life of the building now because you've wrapped it and no longer can the the ground freeze inside. And that's a huge thing right off the bat. Oh, right. Um, Mm -hmm. Right? Because if you put a greenhouse on top of frozen ground... you're not, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a problem. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that's done. So these are permanent buildings with a foundation in the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and so they're not like a little kit that sits on top of the ground. It is an investment because it is a real 
a real building. Right. But again, once it's built, it starts paying you because now everything you grow or make in there, you can make a little extra money with your extra plants or food or seeds um, to pay for whatever you need in there, and there's no fuel bill. Um, the other thing, obviously, is angle of the glass, angle of the roof. There's a shadow line on the roof, which is really kind of an important thing. A lot of greenhouses, the entire roof is glazed. Right. It's way too much sun gain coming in there then. So now we're going to cook the whole room. We're going to cook the water storage that's right. happening in there. And instead, we put part, part of the roof is roofed and covered, and the other part is glazed. And that line is determined on our latitude, where we are on the planet, uh-huh. and the sun angles. Okay, and these sun angles you can uh, get on uh, the NASA's site where they will give you where the sun is at every moment on the mm-hmm. planet. And every You know, you can get all that right. information, um, and, and you can see where that sun window is going to be for you and where you are, and, and CORD creates that shadow line. And what I'm talking about is we put our water all at the back of the wall, the back north wall of the greenhouse, right. and we stack it all the way to the top. And the reason we use barrels is because they're only two feet wide. So now we have all floor space for growing, and we've stacked all our water to the back wall. So in the summer, we want the sun to land a foot in front of the barrels, not on the barrels. Yeah. So that's how we determine where that roof ends and glazing begins, is that we want the sun to land in front of the barrels and not cook the barrels and get them hot. In the winter... When the sun is low on that angle, we want it coming straight in the windows and hitting the hitting back the of the barrel. Yeah. And it's perfect. So both, it's actually sort of cooling in the, win- in the summer and it's heating then in the winter. So that is, is that balance that you determine and you find. Um, you know, we, we do cell plans on our website that uh, we have three varieties ready to go. Um, and we ask people, you know, if you change the design from what Cord has figured out for this particular design, everything changes. Because it's all integrated. Everything is working together. The other aspect is, of course, that natural convection with venting. And venting is the biggest issue, Mm -hmm. without a doubt. A lot of these high tunnels you see, they don't have any vents on the top, right? Right. They only have the open ends. Well, you have these big dead air areas in the center, and the heat needs to go up and out. So they have to use fans, they have to use cooling, they have to do all kinds of things to push that air around. With natural convection, like what would happen in a rock outcropping, is there's low vents and high vents in equal and opposite positions. Mm -hmm. So equal size in opposite positions. So we have vents down low in the front of the greenhouse, and we have vents up high at the back of the greenhouse, which makes the air move whether the wind is blowing or not. The air has to move. That's natural convection. And and for your listeners who are scientists, please (laughs) understand that we are only emulating nature. We're not scientists, but natural convection is a simple thing that we can use without using fossil fuel to benefit. And I go into my greenhouse, Greg, in the summer Uh with a jungle of tomatoes to cool down and to feel that cool air Mm. moving past my face. Right. You know, my hot face, and then I go, oh, that air is just moving slightly. It's not like it's a big rush, but you can feel that ventilation happening. And so yeah. planning for that ventilation is a, is, a, is a big deal. And they don't make a lot of smart materials to do it with. I mean, I shouldn't say that. There are, but Cord Custom builds everything so uh-huh. that it will work the way he wants it. Got it. Did so, that give you a good picture? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm actually on your website, uh, penandcordsgarden.com. Yes, uh, that's us. And there's a latest uh, greenhouses section, and these greenhouses are beautiful. Can you yeah. tell us? Tell us <laughs> wow, I want one. <laughs> I know I laugh because people say that we want to come and see your greenhouses. And I go, well, I have the, the little greenhouse that could. <laughs> Yeah. I have the, you know, I have the shoemaker's green. Oh, right, exactly. We have the prototypes here. We are building a big one here, and it's under construction right now, and it's not finished. Um, and I'll have 70 feet of tropical forest oh, at 8,000 feet. And nice. I'm out of my tiny mind, Greg, because <laughs> I've been... I've been operating out of these real little greenhouses. Our yeah. first one was 10 by 13, and the next one is 13 by 15. And I produce 
three to five thousand tomato plants out of those. Wow. Um, and I, <laughs> that's another story how I can tell you how I do that. But now he's building state of the art, all brand new materials, all you know for clients. Right. So how he what he builds for clients, you know, it is like I said, state of the art, absolutely beautiful buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we started with the scrappy, <laughs> right. and well, now of course, we're upgrading. That's how we yeah, that's and that's how we, how we learned. learned exactly. And now we're upgrading, and we're going to finally have one of these bigger greenhouses so that I can grow tropical trees, you know, and have fruit yeah. year round. Yeah. I love this. Uh, the the first picture here, eighteen by thirty two foot greenhouse, says what a wedding gift. <laughs> That's because the couple that was their gift to uh, their wedding gift to each other uh, at their wedding. Wow! And we finished it right before their wedding too. Wow. It was a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, these are beautiful, beautiful greenhouses. You know, and these are mostly just people, just individuals, couples, uh-huh. retired folks. Yep. We have folks, you know, people take our classes and build them themselves, although they're never going to be as perfect as Cord building it. I, I can say that right out because the dude is a genius, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he is a genius at this. And this is what he does, is trying to perfect this all the time. But uh-huh. when we teach it, people have, have done brilliant work to, to make these greenhouses. And we have a retired doctor couple that live at 11,000 feet. They move for their retirement to 11,000 feet. Wow. And they, yeah. And they built one and they pump the heat into their home and heat their home in the winter and eat free out of it year round mm-hmm. and grow medicine and food in it. They're, they said to tell everyone that it costs less to build that greenhouse to heat their home than a solar array would have. And, and wow. they're, happy as clams and they were DIYers you know they they didn't even have cord to design it for them right so you know this is using what nature and earth teaches us is we this is what I think we're all trying to get back to because we've gone so awry so away from what is natural and good and smart and sustainable and and so you know the the commercial business whatever it's 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 hooked on that fuel bill Right. right there's oh, a yeah. nursery in Boulder that runs their whole nursery off of a subterranean greenhouse that uses zero fossil fuel. Wow! And so we want to get the word out, you know, yeah. that because people are starting to ask questions and say maybe there's a better way than a swamp cooler and a heater. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. Well, and this, this, you know, this technology was figured out in the '70s, and then right. we all went to sleep for about 35 years, yep. and now we wake up and we go, wait. We could really use this right now. Yeah. And if you were like us, where we were in our 20s and getting salvaged materials at 150 bucks, and we now have a sweet little greenhouse that feeds our family, mm-hmm. boy, that's, it's really powerful, and it's, yeah. it feels great to be a part of. Yeah, exactly. When I can see from, so I'm just looking through these pictures on your website, and I can see from them how this works. You basically point the greenhouse, in the, so in the northern hemisphere, you point your greenhouse yep. south, and yep. um, there's only uh, glazing on the front of the greenhouse, and then in the back of the greenhouse, you have your stacked uh, barrels. Right, and you know, the balance of the greenhouse is about 50-50 insulated to double glazing. And that's something I didn't mention. All Any glazing needs to be doubled, no matter if it's polycarbonate, glass, greenhouse film. It doesn't matter. Double it, okay? Because double glazing behaves completely different than single. So, and you can, so you, when you say double it, you mean put two sheets on top of each other? You have to have a spacer in between. Oh, okay? interesting. Okay, so polycarbonate oh, right. already comes mm-hmm. that way, yeah. right? So when we did double plastic, we're going to have a little wooden spacer in between. So mm-hmm. there's a little air space in between, and that air space is your insulation. Yeah. So glass, double pane glass does that. It has that little space between it. So if you were using glass, use double paned, right? right. So anytime it's it's and even if you mix them up, if it's greenhouse plastic or fiber and fiberglass it, it doesn't matter as long as you've made an airspace yeah. that's going to make all the difference you can use the heaviest infl- insulation you can use on the insulated parts of the building what you see there greg is that the north side and a half about half of the east and west is insulated yeah it's like a shell like a, a shell of insulation mm-hmm. and then a shell of double glazing on the front and we shift that greenhouse south to southeast 
just a little for us, and that's because the recovery morning sun is is going to help that greenhouse recover much oh, quicker. Yes. Yes, exactly. We have a ton of western sun. We're all hot by the time it gets over to the west, yep. and we are venting off extra sun. Yeah. But if you live somewhere where you have a mountain or a giant tree, you could tweak it a little south to southwest if you have to. Mm-hmm. So these are the things that... You know, Cord, if he comes on a consultation and cites someone green, someone's greenhouse, these are the considerations you take in. How tall is that tree? Where does the shadow fall? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, when does the sun come up in the morning? Yeah. What is your sun window? These are the questions you ask to position it. Um, and so, yeah, the overglazing thing is very common. And Cord will say what he sees the most is overglazed, undermasked, and undervented. Yes. Is that what makes... he sees the most in greenhouses. Yeah. So the, the, if you can add those things in any way, even if it's not our design or uh-huh. all of the math that court has figured out for you in our plans, we've seen success work. Uh, people in Denver, where it's super hot, they have a high tunnel. They couldn't be in it at all for the summer months. I mean, it's 120 degrees in there. Right. So they put a line of barrels down the center of the, the high tunnel, and they put plants on it and made tabletops on top of those barrels of water. And then they planted on the low side of, you know, either side of it, they planted in the ground their crops, but they were working on the barrels and growing potted things on the barrels. Mm-hmm. And they could be in it in the summer. Oh, wow. So, no, the balance isn't right. It isn't designed 50-50. But it allowed them to use their hoop in summer where they couldn't before. Right. So, again, we utilize this, this formula of water and mass and isolation of, of the earth, even in our garden beds, in our cold frames. Mm-hmm. A cold frame with jugs of water in it is a whole different bird than just a cold frame. Right. Even that will do huge difference. And- so. Tell our, tell our listeners why that's the case. Just get okay, real, so, really, really simple and, and tell them why. Okay, water is, again, the most efficient thermal mass we know uh, in nature. And, and, and you're using that to store heat and cool. Yes, I'm using it to cool that little, say it was a little hoop house that you have in, yep. over a garden bed, and you line the thing with jugs of water, even if they're gallons or five-gallon buckets, whatever. All day, that water is going to be soaking in excess heat yeah. and kind of taking it away from overheating that, that little unit that you might have. No vents, they can overheat. Mm-hmm. And then at night, it's releasing that heat right by the plants. Yeah. Even on a small scale of a gallon of water is like a little battery that a battery you're setting right next to your plant yeah. and cooling, kind of cooling it in the day, heating it at night, and that mm-hmm. exchange is going back and forth. Nice. Nice. I know, really cool, right? Yeah. I like simple things. <laughs> oh, it is so simple. And and, and I look at, I, I've been doing this for a very long time. I've 40 plus years in gardening and the physics behind all of this. And I look at your designs and they're they're brilliant. I, I, <laughs> I don't know Cord, but I can look at his design and say, wow, I get it. Yes. And I will tell you, he will say, I'm standing on the, standing on the shoulders of these geniuses before me. Uh-huh. But... They did so much work on figuring this out there, you know, but he took it further. Yeah. And um, in, in the book that we reread all those years ago, he, the author said, I don't know how well these greenhouses will do up at high elevation. You may have to mm. use supplemental heating. Well, we've taken them all the way up and 31 below zero. That day we went down there. Okay. It's all going to be dead, right? 31 below zero. Wow. And it had been a week of 17 below and 20 below, and then it finally hit 31 below. And Cord and I were like, okay, let's go see our dead tomatoes. And we walked in there, and, of course, there's zones in the greenhouse. Up against the barrels at the back is your most stable zone. Right. Out in the edges by the glazing is the most unstable zone. Mm -hmm. So in the winter, we're going to put our tomatoes up against those barrels. That's their happy place. Right. And so we got 12 feet of tomatoes in there that we went into winter with. And they go all the way to the ceiling and come back down. And we walked in and all the tomatoes up against the barrels, you know, in the middle were perfectly fine. Wow. 
and that's a tropical plant. Like, yeah. you know, kale and broccoli can handle some cold, but not a tomato. Right. And the ones, of course, on the edges or up against the glass, of course, were burned by the, you know, frozen. But by then, we plant cool weather crops up against the glazing and warm weather crops at the right. back. Yeah, exactly. That switches in summer, right? So, so you know, you have we had a little losses around the edges, but those tomatoes up at the wall, they, they kept going strong. And that, that made us both with our eyebrows up, <laughs> like, oh, oh, these really do work. Yeah. <laughs> because after that first little greenhouse that could, as we call it, our uh-huh. little one, Cord built a second small one, but now he had the book back. Uh-huh. And he, he had really learned a lot, and he, he redesigned it. And that second little greenhouse is the one that went to 31 below. So the learning from one to the second was incredible. Mm -hmm. And now he's built almost 20 of them. And he is, you know, he he can't have mistakes or failures on his clients' greenhouses. So he figures it out and improves it all the time. You'll see the design of the greenhouses changing through the pictures because Mm -hmm. he keeps improving, you know, the venting design or the aerodynamics because remember, we have 120 mile hour winds can come through our valley. Oh, wow. I'm sure you get that too. Yeah, we do. You can't have any flapping. (laughs) Court says no unauthorized flapping because if something is going to catch wind, it's goners. Right. It'll be beat apart. So everything is aerodynamic. Everything is flashed. Everything is covered so that the wind cannot catch these things. Right. The, even the vents are out of the way of the wind. And, and there's ways around, you know, make, keeping those vents protected. Yeah. Because the commercial ones go flying across the valley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Lots I'm of sure. sad stories of folks telling me that. Yeah. So, so he's been, you know, he's been working on this a long time, and I, I just... I I'm I live it every day. <laughs> I know they work, and and I have food in my greenhouses every day, mm-hmm. no matter if I pay attention to them or not. And uh, it's it's a thrill, and and I'm just so I mean the guy is pretty genius. Yes, it's true, but he's he's really doing something great with this because it's important how much fuel oh. we're using in greenhouses that is not efficient in any way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it it looks as though. This might make a good front face to a house. Oh yeah! Wouldn't it be nice and to prop one prop one of these right up against your house and then have it help heat the house? Absolutely. And so, attached greenhouses are another bird, right? Mm, right. Uh, the venting system is completely different, and he has built several attached. Um, and so the venting works where in the winter you're venting the heat of the greenhouse into your home, and in the summer you're venting it out. So in that book, the, the, those guys worked on attached greenhouses to heat homes mostly, mm-hmm. not only, but mostly. So right. it was really full of attached. But my husband changed the design to make single units so that he had that option. And that's what we, what we could do here. Yeah. Um, and, but people want attached all the time. But each one is a custom build because each home is different. It's right. positioned different. The the wall is different, right? But it, it can be done, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's a, you know, people don't give it too much credence that a attached greenhouse could actually heat your home. I'm telling you it could heat your home. Oh, I'm quite sure. Uh, seriously. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And feed you. So <laughs> it, it, it's, exactly. yeah. it's really cool. <laughs> nice. So I'm just, I'm scrolling through penandcordsgarden.com. And so you have a section here. Uh, a couple of them that I want to talk about classes and consultations. So tell mm-hmm. us about tell us about that. Well, you know, we were hiding in the woods pretty good uh, for about sixteen years yeah. before we got discovered. <laughs> and we got discovered by Paniotti Kalaitis, and that's a name of a person, a Greek person. Okay. And all the Greek folks out there are laughing because I just mangled his name. <laughs> <laughs> But he is one of the world's leading plantsmen and seedsmen. And um, he discovered us. And he brought us into the Denver Botanic Gardens to start teaching. And we began teaching. They needed mountain representatives, you know, because half of Colorado is not mountains. And Denver is not in the mountains. 
so we started teaching high altitude growing classes and then of course how to build these greenhouses mm -hmm. and how to grow in them which are two separate classes right and boy it was amazing um every you know our classes would sell out every time and because there were so many people in the mountains throwing their hands up going, what? Nothing works that I know how to do. Right. You know, all the things I knew from Minnesota or New Jersey doesn't work here. And it's uh -huh. like, exactly. Leave that behind. <laughs> Start with a clean slate. Right. <laughs> and that was, a, that was the beginning of a lot of things for us where, you know, not just being recognized as teachers, but we learned so much by teaching and, oh. and putting together what we do here. Yeah. And, uh, and the greenhouses feel really good because so many people get their hearts broken out here in the West with their greenhouses that they buy out of a catalog or something, and, and they don't know what to do. And, yeah. and they put this money in, and now it's turned into a garden shed. You know, and right, <laughs> it's exactly. like empty it out let's start over we can do this you know you can make it better and and we started teaching how to do this basically with salvage materials and no money because that's what we came from but now we do a whole spectrum because there's a lot of people out there who who are willing to buy new materials or salvage some buy some you know a mixture whatever and make beautiful buildings that they want to match their home or whatever yeah, they can yeah. you know that's lovely too and that's where it's led to. And, and so, you know, when you look at the little greenhouse that could and our 150 bucks and, and these gorgeous 65-foot greenhouses he's building for folks, right. you, there's been a lot of evolution in between there mm -hmm. and learning um, and then teaching. And, and you, know, Cord, you know, it's interesting because you're teaching the thing that's your business. Right. And, but it's, it's more important that we do that because otherwise we're going to continue to use fuels for something we don't need to. Yeah. We need our fuel for other things that are more important. This yeah. can, you know, greenhouses can run themselves. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, and the consultations, Cord and I are both available for consultations. I mostly consult for greenhouse growing for folks that are struggling. Oh, for yeah, fully organic, um, but I, I can get in there and, and kind of feel the situation and help folks. But CORE does consultation on siting your greenhouse and building it, or, or he goes all the way through building it completely, um, or just coming and giving you a consultation to help you start. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's been great because, um, you know, us folks in the mountains, we got to help each other. We're yeah. long distances between each other, you know, so yeah. he'll go on a tour of consultations to go see folks and, and uh, see their site and, and just get them started, because sometimes that's yeah. all they need is that little beginning push, because it, it can be head-scratching at first. Oh, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm always on the way of get started. Even if you fail, get started. Get started, yeah. Yeah, and keep going. So, uh, so classes... You offer classes in teaching people how to do this? Yes, we offer classes on uh, high-altitude gardening in all sorts of ways. I mean, at one point we had 15 different classes we taught at Denver Botanic Gardens. And uh -huh. uh, in, in January coming up, we'll be teaching the greenhouse course, the greenhouse growing course, and then a big food growing course. We, it's mountain food growing and it's like a four-hour, we go over everything. You know, there's so many things to consider up here that or up here in the wilderness that people yeah. don't know about even things as simple as open range you know that you could have a 3,000 pound bull on your front doorstep oh, right <laughs> chewing your entire garden if you live in an HOA you know and <laughs> if you really because they lease the land the cattlemen to get their the homeowners to have to pay less taxes right so when you buy land in an HOA if you don't have fencing you're gonna have to fence that cattle out of your garden yeah and if you want to garden or grow, a greenhouse is often a great option for the bear, right? Because the bear can tear oh, open right. anything. Yep. The, you know, for, for all the wild animals we live with, an elk, a bull elk is 800 pounds on the hoof. Oh, my gosh. And if he comes in your garden, <laughs> your it's all history. gone that yeah. night. Yeah. Exactly. One night. An elk will attempt eight feet. So you have to put up a 10, 10 feet for elk because they will attempt eight. And that wow. is miraculous to me you know that an 800 pound animal can hoist himself up in the air yeah. <laughs> over an eight foot fence wow. so of course we're deer fenced here 
We right. don't have elk in our particular area, but we deer fence for, uh, and they recommend eight feet for deer. Mm-hmm. And so without that, the deer check the gate every day. Do so they deer, really? We would be, oh, <laughs> all day, every day. <laughs> I poke my head out the front door. They're about 20 feet away from me. I go, girls, because it's usually does and their babies. Girls, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> and they look at me, the gate's closed. <laughs> We wow. stand there in a standoff yeah. with my hands on my hips. <laughs> no but these are the things that people forget about. You know, they yeah. come up here and, and they say, oh, I want to commune with nature. That's great. But if you have a garden, the deer are going to come eat it. Right. And like, I don't want fences. Well, there's all kinds of ways around that. You can just fence the bed mm-hmm. or just fence the little garden area away from your view or feed the deer for a few years and then see how that is. You know, grow that vegetable garden and yeah, let them rip. Yeah, and then let them at it, yes. <laughs> Because then you'll go, maybe I don't mind fence. <laughs> right. And, you know, a lot of fence is see-through, especially right. here in the woods. Yeah. I can barely see my fence because it's it's in the trees and I can look right through it. Yeah. And it doesn't even bother me at all. But I get it. I understand people move here. They They have an idea, you know, of how they want it to be and then... They didn't know anything about open range, or, or they right. didn't understand that they went into an HOA that wouldn't allow them to build a greenhouse or water outside from water restrictions. So those are all questions that we go over in class. Like, there's a lot of people come to our courses because they're planning to move to the wilderness mm-hmm. or somewhere extreme. And so they, though, that, that little bit of, of tips of like, boy, I wish I knew this before I bought land somewhere. Right. Where if I want a garden, I want to ask those questions, you know, how deep are the wells around here? What's the water like, you know, and and not all of us think that way when we're buying our property. We're thinking about our home. Mm -hmm. But if you want to make food and grow, you've got to know. You've got to ask a lot of questions. And uh, and it's helpful to know just even those few things because, you know, I I can tell you a great story about um, an HOA. They released 12 retired rodeo bulls into the community as to range them, as you know, as range cattle. <laughs> and these oh, bulls, wow. they, as I always say, they had a bone to pick. No, <laughs> I'm sure. And they were attacking people, and, you know, they can go through any fence. And because the open range laws are as they are, uh-huh. uh, it took weeks and weeks to get the law to come and revert and get these bulls out of there. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they were chasing people around and tearing down fences and ruining people's gardens. And by the time they got there, most of them had hightailed it into the national forest and disappeared. Mm-hmm. And you're like, whoa, I wonder what happened between the bull and the bear, right? Yeah, no kidding. No <laughs> but kidding. that's a wild mountain story of, of what ha- can happen in an HOA that you would never expect that someone's going to graze 12 bulls in your front yard. I, you know? I, I just don't know what to say to that. <laughs> <laughs> that is just so far. I had to throw, that's just so to far, throw that in for. Yeah, that's so far out of reality for me, you know? Right. And <laughs> this is where we live. You know, and I tell folks in class if you have deer, you have lions. So remember, the mm. lions don't want to be seen, but they're watching you. Right. So you should always be aware that there are predators around you. Right. And, and you know, just having your baby in the garden with you at dusk or, you know, it's something we think about here all the oh, time. Right. And it's integrated because, yeah. you know, like I'll share with the small critters, mm-hmm. but a deer will take it all out. So I, it's hard to share with them. They're kind of yeah. piggy. You yeah, know? you think? <laughs> <laughs> They're not good guests. Right. Right. <laughs> So also, I see on your website, you have a tab called greenhouses, and under that is order greenhouse plans. So tell us about that, because I'm I'm sitting here looking, I want one of these in my backyard, and it's like, okay, I'm handy, I know how to build stuff. Wow, I could put in a, uh, the little greenhouse that could. Yeah, I know, and that's the simplest build, because if you notice, the roof angle just goes straight up. Mm-hmm. And on the other designs, it, uh, it comes back down, and there's reasons for that as well. But that little one, that's a sweet design. And Cord is, you know, he's, he's so genius, and being a master blacksmith for 30 mm-hmm. years, he's, everything's got to be perfect, you know. So getting the, the plans down simplified enough that he felt wouldn't be too complicated for, 
for folks that right. aren't like him <laughs> that wants, you know, every detail. Um, and, and also, though, to be true to, to the design so that it will work. Uh, he wants success, mm-hmm. you know, for, for it to work. And, and that's why there's only three available right now is because he's always evolving. He's right. always changing, right? And so he's always improving these designs. But those three are, are set and they're, they're, we've proved them out. We know they work. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've tried to keep them very reasonable. And so that, like I said, the average person like us, when we were in our 20s, you know, it would have this. You know, it's just I want other young people and other people yeah. to have the same wonderful thing that happened to me. Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I raised three boys in a tiny 800 square foot house, and without the little greenhouse that could, I don't know. Right. I don't know what would yeah. have happened. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd go in there, shut the door, and it could be <laughs> blizzarding. And I'm in this quiet inside. green yeah. place, and I feel better. And yeah. I think, what do I have to complain about, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's good for the soul. Absolutely. So I, I, I would like for you to tell me your big why. why. Why do you do this? I asked that of Cord earlier. You know, he really feels that what these greenhouses can do is is really making a difference. It can help the planet. And what we see commercial greenhouses do are so, it's so out of balance. It's so out of whack. Mm -hmm. How could anyone think that's okay to air condition it in the day and heat it at night in the same building that it seems like we should be asking better questions. But this ability to be able to provide people with this super smart thing that's simple and smart is is compelling you know there's a fuel crisis and there's we're all looking towards what we're going to do and how we can make you know tread lightly on the planet and these greenhouses tread lightly on the planet and i just wish you know everybody could have one or every community Mm. could have one every school because remember this is the problem with the with the school lunch problem is that they can't grow a garden in the winter right. in most states they yeah. do this in california brilliantly but what if they had one of these greenhouses that the students built from the shop class and the physics class and the chemistry class and the math class and they all help to understand how this is built and they salvage and they come together as a community and they build this little greenhouse that feeds the school fresh, even <laughs> fresh salad every day right. would be this incredible input that would help them. And, yeah. and this is a reality. You know, we did it for 150 bucks and I'm not saying our state of the art 65-foot greenhouses are 150 bucks. <laughs> I'm saying that if we can do it and we can teach people, then mm-hmm. maybe in their communities, you know, more and more people could have these totally no-input buildings that give and give and give. Yeah. <laughs> and then I the kids that. could learn, you know, so much. We, yeah. we were able to build one on a college campus at Colorado College in Colorado Springs, and the students did, were, were, you know, they raised the money, they, it was their idea, and all of these students now are coming through there learning that there are greenhouses available in the world that need no input, and that makes us so happy. <laughs> Beautiful. You know, it really yeah. does. Beautiful. You know, because Cord says, if I'm teaching what I do, I could get, I could teach myself out of a job. He goes, and you know what? That would be okay. That would be okay. It would be okay, because everyone would be doing this smart thing and getting all this benefit back. That's the thing. They, the greenhouses give more than I can tell you. They, yeah. they work better than I can tell you. Beautiful. So, Penn, you keep talking about this book, the greenhouse book that Cord had found, and then it disappeared, and then it came back. Do you know what the name of it is that you can share it with us? I do. It's an amazing book. It's called The Food and Heat Producing Solar Greenhouse, uh-huh. and it was written by Bill Yonda and Rick Fisher in 79. And I promise you, we put this book in your bathroom, and you'll be a genius too. <laughs> so it was, give us the name again. The Food and Heat 
producing solar greenhouse. Uh-huh. It is out of print. It's an old book. Everybody finds it on Amazon. Amazon yeah. It looks like an old hippie book. And I call those guys, you know, hippie geniuses. You'll see uh, bell bottoms and culottes in there. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Penn. It has been a treat chatting with you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for letting me tell people about about this. Thanks, Greg. Yeah. So how can people get a hold of you? Okay, well, our website is www.penandcordsgarden.com, and that's spelled P-E-N-N-A-N-D-C-O-R-D-S-G-A-R-D-E-N.com. Perfect. And everything's on one website, and and uh, email us or call us up. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So you can also find today's show notes for the podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash greenhouse. Uh, so you can uh, be sure to check there for our recent podcast with Penn, also talking about her seeds and tomatoes. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Do you want to save money at the grocery store, eat more organic whole foods, cultivate food security, and feel more connected to the earth? If so, then growing your own food is a no-brainer. You wouldn't believe how many people come to me claiming that they can't grow their own food. They think they don't have enough space, that they're too busy, or that they simply don't have what it takes. Perhaps you've fallen for one of these gardening myths. If you think you can't grow food, or if you think the only food that you have access to is what you buy in the grocery store, I have a life-changing webinar that you need to see. It's free and will help you unearth your inner gardener. I've helped thousands of people just like you learn to grow their own food, and I'm speaking from my own experience when I say that with the right knowledge in place, there is no such thing as a black thumb. With this webinar, you can begin making your garden dreams come true and start growing delicious, nutritious food for your family. Just text GARDEN to 44222 or go to IWantToGarden.com and you will receive our free webinar about the seven key factors you need to know to grow your own food. Remember, that's GARDEN to 44222 or IWantToGarden.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.